All right, Brock Lurie and The Brock Lurie Show here. Thanks so much for being with us today. We have a uh, really exciting guest today. My co-host guest today is Larry Greenfield, who is an amazing man, who is a uh, great writer, a great uh, um, talk show host. He's, he's actually guested for me on my Sunday show, uh, and I'm really so honored to have him. Now, truth be told, Larry, the reason why I have you on the show today it's not because of anything you have to say. You just have a fantastic voice. Well, you have a fantastic voice too, Barack. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right. I want to get right into it. Uh, the biggest story of the recent month, uh, well, maybe two weeks, has been this disaster called Afghanistan. Afghanistan will echo for not only years, but for decades to come. We will be teaching this. Your kids will be learning from this if history is taught right that uh, this was the greatest cluster you-know-what. And people try to study why things happened the way they happened. I, I know this just from a... I can, I can go into the future and see how things will be looked at as we're seeing them today. Because right now, all you're hearing about, Larry, is the notion that, well, gosh, this, they didn't really think things through here and this really could have been planned better and so forth, Right. Uh, that's the news. That's the big stuff. And it's all accurate. Of course, it's a terrible decision. Uh, the way they left, it's not the fact that we left. It's the, it's the how in terms of how we left. The military equipment, I think $85 billion worth, uh, leaving all the Americans behind, uh, leaving all the uh, Afghanis who had helped us behind, all those things that are already in the news, and it's a disaster. However, the thing that intrigues me more is a much more uh, broad picture question, which is how could they have let this happen in the first place? How did we get here? How was it? Because it's not just Biden, right? It's, it's also his cabinet, also his vice president, who proudly proclaimed that she was the last person in the room when making this, this, this decision. And then likewise, the entire Democrat Party, who were all gung-ho about just getting the hell out of there without any apparent notion of consequences. How is it that they could do this, that they could all get themselves into a tizzy, no, not even a tizzy, just to make this ridiculous decision to pull out without any thinking of consequences? What, what enabled that? That's my question for the day. What, what do you think, Larry? So, Barack, there are two competing worldviews here, the left and the right or the left and the center right, and on almost every subject, economics, national security, border security, crime and punishment, investing in the future and innovation economy versus redistribution economy, socialism rising. On almost every big subject, we no longer see things the same way. You're asking for some perspective I'm going to offer you some. We know that Afghanistan has been the graveyard of empires in the past. It's landlocked, it's tribal, it's mountainous. It doesn't have a strong central government. There was a period of time, however, in the 70s, when women were going to school and educated and participating in the government. Afghanistan was inching toward a somewhat responsible modernity. The Soviets invaded, and something everybody forgets, 
of the tribal leaders resisting the Soviet Union invasion of Afghanistan, which they invaded because they border Afghanistan and they wanted access to the Indian Ocean through Afghanistan, the Mujahideen, the Afghan seven major tribal um, uh, resistance groups, one of the seven was our ally. Yeah. Was pro-U.S. It was led in the Panjshir Valley by Ahmed Shah Massoud. It's just a name that rolls off the tongue, I got to tell you. I, I just, it's like, you just invented that name, didn't you? Call, Come on. It's like John Smith <laughs> among the Afghanis, right? You can tell us. They called him the Lion of the Panjshir Valley. He was a pro-U.S., one of the few, I admit, among the Mujahideen, yeah. the Afghan tribal warriors who would hide in caves and pop out to avoid the Soviet gunships, right, no, which dominated yeah. the air. This is now in the 80s. Barack, I want to break some news to you <laughs> and your listeners. I was there. Whoa, 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 whoa. We've got a real veteran here. Who knows what's what? I did not know this going into this podcast. That's pretty cool. But look, what I really want to know, and maybe direct yourself toward this, because I'm more interested. Look, the history of Afghanistan is really is fascinating. Mujahideen, I forgot all about that. I remember that very well. But it's like, where are they now? They seem so quaint now, right, in the past. But anyway, the point is, what what is it that could lead this administration to have made such a monumental disaster, arguably the worst foreign policy disaster in American history. All right, I'll come to that. So to close the history lesson, on September 9th, 2001, a day and a half before 9-11, as part of their plot, the Taliban slash Al-Qaeda murdered the U.S. ally because they knew we would respond to the attack of 9-11, and they didn't want us to have our friend, his intelligence, and his base of operations in Afghanistan. We then invade Afghanistan without our ally, Ahmed Shah Massoud, there. And for 20 years, we actually did accomplish our goal. We kept the Taliban out of power. We kept al-Qaeda from using Afghanistan as a base for terrorism. There were ups and downs in the Afghan war, just like there were in the Iraq war. But we'd come all the way toward reducing our troop presence to 2,500. No American killed in 18 months. That's a pretty small footprint. We had a $40 billion air base there, which was our real own only access point to confront China and Iran in that region, as well as Pakistan, Afghanistan. Biden's worldview was whatever is not Trump is what I want. And whatever was Trump, I reject, even if it had been working. Therefore, Trump, who had conditions in his negotiation with the Taliban, you may not attack anything or we're going to hit you, which he did, was prepared to leave Afghanistan in his second term. Trump didn't get his second term. Biden picked up that deal. But then instead of having any conditions on his withdrawal, like I'm going to get all of our allies, Americans, and assets out, before I then withdraw our troops, 
our equipment and close our base. He I did see. the exact Interesting. opposite. Interesting. All right. So, so that's cool. I, I get it now. So what you're saying is, uh, whereas Trump was withdrawal with important conditions, yes. uh, the opposite of that was withdrawal with no conditions. Who, that, that, who, who pulls the military out, our bases first, leaves to the Taliban, which in a matter of days and weeks swarmed the country, took all of our uniforms, took our assets, our Humvees, our helicopters, our, our machine guns, our equipment, took over the country, and blew away the time frame that Biden and his, uh, I guess, advisors predicted it would take for the Taliban to take over the country, panicked us out of the country. We've left behind uh, Americans, and we've escaped in a panic. Uh, we've been attacked. We're humiliated. We've lost the trust of our allies. Yeah. Well, look, the thing is that, I mean, had they played the what-if scenarios that they should have played, I mean, there is such a thing called the war room in, in the White House and otherwise. Uh, but it's, it's apparent that they didn't meaningfully play any of these scenarios out. Uh, and the question is, how is it that they could not have played it out? Because it, it, I think it goes without saying, doesn't it, Larry, that had they been able to see a video of the then future of how this is going to play out, they might very well have operated in a very different way. Or maybe not. I don't know. That, that's how stupid I think the Biden administration is. But had they, uh, let's say on uh, August 1, after having announced that they want to you know, pull out of Afghanistan and so forth, had they said, uh, been able to see the rest of August in a video uh, and how humiliating it would be and uh, leaving all the $85 billion, uh, of equipment and the lives lost and so forth, would they have done it? Would they have done something else? Would they have just said, okay, let's keep the status quo? There's so many questions to be asked. I think that they, they would not have done it this way. I mean, a sensible person would have concluded that because this is going to be such a black eye on not just the Biden administration, not just uh, Harris, but also the Democrats, uh, generally speaking, that they clearly would say, despite our wanting to get out of Afghanistan, we would do it a very different way. I like what you say. I think this notion of let's do not Trump Whatever it is, even if it's working, like you said, I'm mean, the immigration uh, that the border policy, for example, is such a great example of what you're talking about. Uh, the border policy was working beautifully under Trump with the stay in Mexico policy in particular, the building of the border wall. These things were so effective that we really had reduced uh, illegal immigration to a trickle. But here we are. Uh, they decided to undo that. And then the disaster that befall us. Uh, but. But, but you see, this is to your point, Larry, and it's a really good one. They saw how quickly it, it was uh, so destructive, how, how, how it unraveled, the immigration disaster unraveled so quickly. Uh, and yet, and yet, they didn't do anything to change it. Now, there was talk about returning back to the stay in Mexico policy, but they're not doing that yet. So in the meantime, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, maybe a million illegal immigrants have flooded into America, not necessarily just from Mexico, mind you, not just necessarily from Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras, but from many other countries, maybe not so friendly countries to America. So I think they said, OK, well, disaster be damned. I mean, yes, it's happening, but let's exploit this now. How can we maximize this disaster to our advantage? And I think they've done that. Look, there's a long tradition here of Biden and many Democrats, although I don't think Republicans are perfect, 
I just think going back to Vietnam, there is a questionable lack of compassion and lack of concern about consequences. Biden said, uh, I may be the most immoral son of a gun in this room. I'm sick and tired of hearing about morality, our moral obligation. That's what he said about the consequences of the withdrawal from South Vietnam and the risk to Cambodians and Vietnamese. This is 1975, I assume. That's right. And Biden has a long history of blundering on foreign policy. Robert Gates, Obama's defense secretary, said Biden's been wrong about every foreign policy decision for 40 years. He's blustery. He doesn't think things through. He's uh, not considered very wise. Um, he rushed out. He didn't care about the consequences. He lied to the allies. He told them, I will leave enough troop presence to ensure security in Afghanistan. And then he didn't. Uh, on the issue of our border, our border was working. For some reason, a very good reason, a lucky reason, the Mexican president, who one thought might be more on the left, worked cooperatively with President Trump to enforce the policy that those who come from Central America to Mexico would have to apply for asylum or otherwise be handled with their, with their claims in Mexico and not just rush our border. Well, it was also a matter of self-interest when you think about it from the Mexico uh, president's point of view because he didn't want a whole slew of uh, yes. Guatemalans and, and Hondurans and it's El Salvadorans. Stream, it's a stream yeah. of immigrants. Yeah, because what happens is that they, they, they would be incentivized to come through Mexico and they don't, he doesn't want them through Mexico. Right or wrong, he didn't want them through Mexico. And this way, by disincentivizing the stream to come up, to the, the American border, then they wouldn't want to take the trek in the first place. So look, no matter how much evidence piles up that the left on national security blunders, Biden himself had supported the Iraq war, uh, but opposed the surge. He supported our withdrawal, um, stating that uh, our drawdown would bring about more violence. They were wrong because the Iraqis are ready to take charge. Instead, ISIS took over Iraq and the United States had to go back to war. No matter how many times the Democrats either get into war or blunder withdrawals, they don't seem to learn because they're always just about whatever the Republicans did was wrong. Let's pander to our left wing base. We know what's right. We're the moral ones. Yeah. So it, I think that's so right. And in addition, you know, we say in, in the Brock Larry podcast that the Democrats are always as if they are in a bubble um, and, you know, traveling through some sort of gelatinous blob where they can't see more than five minutes ahead of them and they can't see more than five minutes behind them. So they, they, it's always the, the, the more or less the present and what feels the right for now. Like, let's pull out of uh, Afghanistan. Uh, you know, what, whatever those consequences might be more than five minutes from now, well, we, we can't even see it. Were there five Democrats in the country who were willing to say, huh, the tax cuts worked, the economy is improving? Uh, we are at all-time low unemployment rates for minorities in this country. Women are entering the workforce in ever greater numbers. The Trump economy is solid. It's helping lift up wages for those at the bottom of the economic ladder. I didn't hear Democrats even acknowledging the success of the Trump economy. Right, nor will they acknowledge the failures of the Biden administration or the Obama administration, particularly now with Afghanistan. You, I know that uh, you know, on Facebook and social media, the, the left is silent at least your leftist friends, 
are silent as to, you know, what a disappointment this has been, the Biden administration. Even if they, they say, look, I, I overall support the Biden administration, but I have to say that this is really a, a big misstep, and hopefully they'll be able to come uh, come out of this and learn from this. Uh, we've got to acknowledge our, our own wrongs one way or the other if we're going to be uh, considered an honest broker. They, they just can't even do that. They not only can't do that, everybody sees the body language of Joe Biden unwilling to really look the press in the eye and engage for a half hour, much less an hour and a half, as Trump regularly did, with real questions and real answers and real acknowledgement. The Secretary of State and Defense and the military planners are not coming forward with truth-telling about what we've left behind, the collapse, the humiliation, the leaving behind all our weaponry. Uh, where is the truth-telling? Where's yeah. the accountability? Where's the acknowledgement? Biden says, I have these lists. What lists? You handed over to the enemy the lists of Americans like you handed over to the Russians? Oh, don't even get me started about this. Yeah, just like you the, said the about the Russians. of yeah. companies, not quote, to not to attack? Yeah, exactly. Meaning that's... all the other companies of the world you're free to attack <laughs> with cyber war? <laughs> you're so right. It's so pathetic. Look, uh, you, you said a lot of uh, important words in there. Like you said, no accountability and, and not considering the consequences and time and so on like this. And that, that relates to, and this comes upon my uh, approach to this whole thing, because as I said in the beginning of this podcast, the most interesting question I have, and, I, and you're addressing it really nicely, is how could this cluster F have happened? How can we explain this disaster? In the same way, I, I mean, it's even worse than, than, than the Titanic, but I'm just going to use the Titanic in a way. What led up, what, what, what disastrous decisions and hubris, elements of hubris, led up to the sinking of the Titanic, right? People, it's been more than 100 years now. Uh, we can analyze it. Okay, this guy was, uh, was afraid to talk to a superior. Uh, these guys uh, thought that the Titanic was indestructible. There's a whole bunch of different things, okay? Um, they should have turned left when they should have turned right. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. But whatever, we can study it. And there is a lot of hubris involved um, when, when you look at the Titanic. Now, that's giving insult to the Titanic because this is far worse. What happened now with Afghanistan, uh, to study it, there are so many factors that all conspired together that led to this disastrous decision to not even consider consequences. And I think that the main reason, the umbrella reason why this could have happened is that this is an utterly godless administration. The party itself is godless. They, they have rejected God, generally speaking. But even this administration, the, the notion of God, and, and please don't tell me, oh, he's a Catholic, he goes to church. That doesn't mean anything. Okay, he's, he plays the game. Anyone can go to church. That, is, that doesn't mean that they're religious, right? Hitler went to church. He wasn't religious. He played the game. So don't, don't tell me that he's a religious man about it, or that anything he does is guided by, uh, by religion. In fact, Larry just quoted, uh, you know, don't talk to me about morals. Uh, I, I can be the most immoral person in the room. It doesn't matter. And he was the most immoral person in the room. So he admits it himself. Okay. So why do I say that it's all about godlessness? Okay. I'll tell you. Because without God, there is no accountability. That's one of your words. Without God, there is no time. Without God, there's no sense of the separation between good and evil, moral and immoral, right and wrong. Without God, you don't even think about, because you don't have the sense of time, you don't really think about the, the notion of consequences, right? 
all these things, and I talk about this in my book, Atheism Kills, and, and even more elaborately in my upcoming book, Atheism Destroys, the, not the sequel, but the second of my volume series of it. So godlessness, to me, explains this very well. This is uh, the overall picture. So we can talk about the little nitpicky things about how they failed to uh, get the message across or whatever it was, but this overall lack of concern about the big picture. Why, you see, without God, we didn't even know why we're there. There's no purpose without God, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in God, there is no purpose, whether in your life or in the, the life or the mission of a nation, let alone this notion of spreading liberty and freedom. I mean, it's, it's an absurdity. It's a, liberty and freedom and the notion of the individual and human rights, that's an anachronism in the world of the left when you are without God. See, that's the thing that I think really gave the momentum for all the other little things that ultimately caused this disaster to unfold. It's beautiful the way you're framing this. The only thing I'll add is this incredible lack of humility mm. um, is matched by, of course, this is my theory, the replacement of God or purpose mm. with their own God's their own standards of righteousness, their own sense of, well, um, we know that being in foreign lands is not what we want to do. So no matter the cost, no matter the poor timing, the lack of preparation or the consequences and how they got out of Afghanistan, their God was, we're getting out by September 11th, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. That's what drove the entire Biden approach to Afghanistan. Trump said, we'll get out. Trump said, but I'll do it carefully with conditions. Nope, we're going to get out, and I don't care about conditions. And even though there's this long history of Biden blundering in foreign policy, he still wouldn't listen to anybody saying, wait, are you being careful about this? Are you measuring consequences and risks? He just didn't care enough. Yeah, I don't even know that he even surrounded himself with anybody that said, wait, wait, let's think about this, right? I mean, that's what we want uh, among a cabinet, among advisors, among anybody, frankly, in the leadership in the Democrat Party or anybody that he's willing to listen to. Simply somebody to say, uh, can I, I'm just, I'm raising my hand here. Uh, uh, Mr. President, I, can, can I just be the the, ne- the, the negative Nelly here, please? Uh, the Debbie Downer, if you will. You're and- going to withdraw <laughs> the troops first and then the embassy staff? You're going to close our base and leave behind all our weapons and we won't have any troops there? Yeah. We'll have no eyes on the ground? You're going to leave behind $85 billion worth of equipment and not destroy it? You're going to tell our allies you'll leave Afghanistan secure or you won't leave in a rush, well, and then you don't? Yeah, you're, so, you're so right. And it, it, I, I just made a move from one house to, an, to another. And I got to tell you, as disorganized as I feel our move has been, it was a thousand times more organized than what happened in Afghanistan. I mean, at least I knew that I had to bring the furniture with me to the, to the new house, yeah. right? At least I knew to bring my kids with me yes. to the new house, yes. right? I thank God about my wife, you know? I mean, I love her. She's great. I mean, some people might want to leave their, life, their spouses behind. I get that. But the point is that I, I brought these things over with me. And they and I, I cut off. I, I told the utility people ahead of time, I'm going to cut off this, the water. Please don't bill me anymore. 
uh, the cable and the telephone, all those things, I, I planned a little bit ahead because I knew when I wanted to leave. Now, this schmuck knew when he wanted to leave. He said September 11th, right? Now, obviously, it's way before then. And, and he didn't plan any of it. Like, what, what do you think? Oh, we, you know, we'll, we'll send for the, for the military equipment later. Okay, you guys hold on to that. You know what? Silly me, I left my, uh, like, to, to make the equivalent again with the house move, you know, I might have left um, a stereo, a piece of stereo equipment behind that I totally forgot because the cabinet was closed, right? There, there it is. And I would call up my, my new tenant and say, oh, Bob, listen, I'm so sorry, but I left my tent there. Can you hold that for me? He'd say, sure, no problem, right? But it's not that way with the Taliban as it turned out. They're not as friendly as my tenant, Bob. Okay? That's the way it works. To look away from consequences is a choice. What about the consequences of the border choices that Biden made? The rejecting of Trump policies, the invitation essentially for millions to come pouring across the border, all predictable. He doesn't seem to care. It makes me think he wanted two million people. Oh, of course he wanted two million people. There's, at some point, you have to assume that he wants the chaos that uh, he himself, his policies have engendered, uh, especially when he knows the answer of how to stop the chaos. And then they pretend by sending, uh, keep on wanting to call her Emmylou Harris, which is an insult to Emmylou Harris, uh, Kamala Harris. They send Kamala Harris over to Nicaragua and, and, and El Salvador to get to the root causes of the problem. You, no, we don't need the root causes. We need to just stop. Okay, that's it. The, the reason why your, your, your house is flooding is because the faucet is on. Okay, stop the faucet first. Okay, that's the number one thing. Uh, just one, one more thing about this. They, um, I, I think you really hit it on the head so well, Larry. It's the not Trump phenomenon. Uh, everything that Trump has, has done, they want to reject it. And everything that Trump has ever believed in or ever pushed is uh, not only um, unimportant, but evil in and of itself. Right. So uh, having the notion of a border, they don't believe in borders, having the notion of, uh, you know, being involved in a foreign war and doing it gracefully. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. So let's get the hell out of here. And it doesn't matter what the consequences are. In fact, those consequences, we deserve them one way or the other. That's the attitude that they have. And ultimately, the good and evil question. I don't hear Democrats, certainly not Biden and Harris, talking about radical Islamic threat now talking about our open borders through which they might enter. And by the way, talking about the Mexican cartels, which are pulverizing human rights and children and women with trafficking of drugs and people and all the money that's being made at the border by coyotes. Why didn't the president give a primetime speech on that evil? Yeah, of course. Well, he's not interested in that. Look, the idea of saying to somebody... Um, Look, I, I mean, it's like going to the... De- I, I've, I've, I've been given the gift of metaphors, Larry, a long time ago. My father was a political cartoonist. I, I was bathed in metaphors, which itself is a metaphor, right? <laughs> so I was bathed in metaphors. And one of the things I've noticed is that... Here's, and here's one for you. I don't want the pain of going to the dentist. Okay? So I don't go to the dentist, let's say. And that root canal problem that I have is just going to get worse and worse. And I might very well die from that root canal, but I won't die today. I won't suffer the consequences today, right? But when it comes to COVID, 
right, and shutting down the economy and all the costs associated with that for the sake of saving, you know, how many lives? You know, I mean, I really have to think about that. Maybe we're losing a lot more lives uh, from suicide and otherwise, the things we've always talked about as a result of shutting down the economy than, than dealing with the COVID, you know, virus itself. That's one thing. So, but there's no one out there to speak on behalf of all the people who are going to die consequentially as a result of this COVID shutdown. Let, then, of course, the costs of illegal immigration. They don't, they don't see the, the inevitable consequences of the drug cartels, the kidnapping, the sex trades, uh, all the horrific stuff, to say nothing of the lost jobs and, you know, the complete uh, d- disrespect for the, the uh, American history and so forth. And now this, Afghanistan. They, they don't see the consequences of leaving Afghanistan and putting a, um, you know, taking away the, the launching pad, the central point from which we could kind of keep the Chinese at the bay, keep, and we have a base toward Russia, we have a base toward uh, the various seas around Afghanistan and so forth. These things are not discussed. They only think about the immediate consequence, the, the dental discomfort, as it were. And there probably is no greater model for this question of short-term thinking versus long-term wisdom and being willing to pay the price for a greater good than Neville Chamberlain versus Winston Churchill. I have peace in our time. It was a phony peace. It was a bluff. The opponent was evil. Uh, The enemy was lying. But Chamberlain thought he could wave a piece of paper and make nice politically. I have created peace in our time. It led to catastrophe. And Biden wanted the short-term hit, the short-term positive. I got our troops out of Afghanistan. I ended the 20-year American involvement, which, by the way, had some successes. It was no longer a base for terrorism. We had a small footprint there. It's a difficult part of the world. 2,500 Americans kept that Afghan central government. I think that's amazing, by the way. 2,500 men, that's all it took to keep this government, the the Afghanis in line, without... Uh, any American servicemen dying in 18 months. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of the 300 in the Battle of Thermopylae, right? right? Where, right. where they held off, what, how many thousands, tens of thousands of Persians? It's an incredible story. And yet, it happened. Why didn't we keep the 2,500 men? Of course, nobody compared it to the, what is it, 30,000 or 50,000 men in Germany, the uh, tens of thousands that we have in Japan, the South tens Korea. of thousands in South Korea, uh, and many places all throughout the world. We don't call that an endless war in South Korea, right? And by the way, the war has not yet ended officially in South Korea. Uh, so there you have it. Okay, I want to move on a little bit to another topic, which is really interesting. It's very related to this woke culture that we talk about. And, and for that, I want to talk first about uh, this video that, that came from Project Veritas. It's on Twitter, and I'm going to play a little clip from it for you so that you have a sense of what's what. This is a teacher, a high school teacher, a public high school teacher, no less, who is bragging about how he is trying to uh, infiltrate the minds of the, his students. Okay, so let's go ahead and play that. 
for extra credit. So they get points for doing it. Like, and so that encourages them to do it. <laughs> and I've, I've had like students show up for like protests, community events, you know, tabling, food distribution, all sorts of things. They, when they go, they take pictures, they write up a reflection, that's their extra credit. Like I, I have an Antifa flag on my, on my wall. Um, and a student complained about that and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. Well, this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable, so if you feel uncomfortable, I, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> like, maybe you shouldn't be aligning with the, the values that it, this is antithetical to. So the Cultural Revolution in the 60s was fixing the problem that came about after the economic revolution. It ultimately failed, right? Um, and there was a lot of excesses. People were definitely, like, you know, shot in the streets that probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, so some other people should have been killed in the streets. You know, that's, that's cool. But he's saying there's some excesses. You know, that 60 million people slaughtered by Mao, that's excess. So let's, let's continue. Incredibly ugly behavior come out of this city. And you can see a couple of people over there that might be demonstrating that. This, this is the teacher. 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. How do you do that? Okay, so he says, I have 180 days to turn his students into revolutionaries. You see that the, the, the reason why I bring this all up is this audacity, this newfound arrogance, this new haughtiness, this new pride even in being able to turn students into revolutionaries uh, to proudly proclaim. And he's not saying in whispers. He's not, you know, hush hushing. Look, let's here's our here's our secret plan. Don't tell anybody. Right. It's not like that at all. He is very proudly speaking his mind about how he would like to convert his students into, yes, revolutionaries. Um, the notion is that somehow, and he talks about in the very beginning of that clip, about uh, values that, uh, that an Antifa flag is up there and the guy complains about it and he says, well, maybe you shouldn't be aligning yourself to the values that this flag is antithetical to, right? Meaning that the Antifa flag you know, and the Antifa values are the right values, and you shouldn't be doing the opposite of what Antifa holds so dear. It's a very bizarre notion. So in other words, Larry, it's this notion that America is bad and we need to be fighting America, that that is in itself the right thing to do. We're past the point of revolution. I've got news for him. He's already mainstreamed the Antifa movement. He, he, he At least he thinks in his mind that Antifa should be and is the center of proper values and that we're just stuck in this evil empire and we're going to destroy it from within. So I want to pay you a compliment, Barack. In your work, your writings, your radio show, your podcast, you're willing to go deep enough, philosophical enough, idea-oriented and thoughtful enough to try to understand the roots the psychology and the religious or anti-religious basis of yeah. the subversive nature of the left. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. The left is seeking to deny the foundational principles, the spiritual foundations, the religious concepts behind life behind Western civilization, behind our idea of liberty and freedom and uh, self-governance and checks and balances and accountable government and the freedom and uh, liberty of a self-governing people. There must be something, Barack, very, very dark and very, very deep 
almost satanic, almost counter-religious, counter-godly, counter-holy to create in somebody the confidence to preach to children, not fair play, not objective, scientific, rational discourse, but I will impose on you not only my worldview, but it's a worldview that would prove a very dark future, a provably dark future. What societies measured up better than ours in terms of human liberty and opportunity and welcoming in the stranger, the poor, the widow, the oh, orphan? Oh, yeah, but now you're expecting them to see the future and to understand the consequences and to know the past. That's the whole bubble we've been talking about in the past. But listen, first of all, thank you very nice, uh, very much for the, for the kind words. But I, I think you and I think so similarly about this, and I, I think we both see it at the same time. We have to know history. You have to have an understanding that this one day will become history also, uh, and that you have to play for the future at, at some point. We have to tend to this garden before we, uh, before we do anything further about it. But look, this guy, he, it's, it's the arrogance and the hubris we are talking about, the, the pride with which he speaks, uh, the righteousness uh, of his cause, and this guy doesn't know. I mean, you, you, ask, you ask very good rhetorical questions. What country is better? What uh, system offers something better? Uh, these are all very proper questions, but he's not interested in that. He's not. But what's fascinating to me about this is that it reveals one of our greatest weapons, Larry. And that is their own pride. That they're the ones who we're able to show because they don't do this underhanded. They, they are very proud of it. This guy is, is loud and proud about everything that he's announcing, right? So we get to see what they're actually trying to do. These are the monsters that are telling you, like all those superhero movies, I am planning to destroy the world. I, I'm Dr. Evil or whatever it is, right? That's what these guys are. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, what's the joke about uh, vegans? You know, the, uh, how do you spot a vegan in the room? Don't worry, he'll tell you, <laughs> right? That's right. And I say this as a vegan myself, yes. by the way. I can laugh at my own people, so to speak. Yes. Uh, we, we really are a bunch of jackasses sometimes. There are a lot of quiet ones, like myself. I mean, we, we don't try to push it on anybody. But unfortunately, the quiet ones are not the ones that you notice. You notice the noisy ones who throw the, the paint on you to, to represent blood, right? Uh, you know, on your fur coat and so on. But that's the same thing with these schmucks, this, this high school teacher. They, they're in your face. And that, to some extent, is good news for us because we get to actually show that they're not just going under the radar. They're doing it loud and proud. So what I want to do is encourage you, Barack, in your thinking yeah. and in your communications and teaching and idea formation and presentations going forward to chronicle for us this civil war, this revolutionary left, this subversive attack on our first principles, on our economy, on our security, on our virtue, and kind of walk us through uh, how to fight back, what are our assets in this battle, um, how have we won in the past revolution against revolutionaries like this, what will stand at the end, who will stand at the end? Uh, the tactics and techniques of winning and holding off this uh, cascade of, of, of attack. Um, so you are our guide to our civil war, Rock. <laughs> You're very kind. Really very kind. That's almost too kind. I really do appreciate that. Uh, look, you know, you've heard my, my podcast. You've heard my, you've read my books. 
you know, my main theme here is always to bring God back into the equation. And I don't mean by, by saying bring God back that you just have this faith and you close your eyes and you, and you, uh, you raise your hands to the sky and, and uh, bring in Jesus to your life. First of all, I'm not, I'm not a Christian anyway, but I do believe in God fiercely. I'm a Jew, as you are. And, you know, I, I, I ask people to understand that without God in your life, your personal life, and then the life of civilization itself, uh, we are doomed without it. And you need to imagine God in your life in the same way that, Larry, I see you right in front of me, uh, that I see the furniture around in this room. Uh, that, that is how real God has to be to you. You don't have to attend church. I think it helps to attend church. I think it helps to attend synagogue. Of course, it, it, I, I certainly encourage that as much as possible. But if you live your life understanding that there is a God, then you will understand that there is a purpose to your life and there's a purpose to your civilization. There is a reason why America has succeeded. And it ain't because uh, America has a great patent system. Okay, that's, that's a wonderful tool of America, but that's not the reason why. The reason why America has succeeded while other countries have not is because it infused God into the equation of not government, but into our personal lives. And the government understood that God was a part of our personal lives. When we did that, that's when we thrived. And with God, we have courage. With God, we have purpose. With God, we have accountability. With God, we have time and consequences. You do not have any of those things without God. That's, that is how we save the day at the end of the day, as it were. Amen. All right, folks. Well, Larry, thank you so much for being our guest host today. It's really been a pleasure. Uh, I really hope we can have you back on again. Thank you. All right. Take care and God bless. And this is Brock Larry signing off and saying, God bless. And we'll talk with you next week. 